Our text this morning will be Ruth chapter 4, if my computer decides to talk to me. It was working. Pardon me. Hey, that was enough. Okay, our text this morning is Ruth chapter 4, verses 13 through 22, and this is the word of God. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashan. Nashan fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Let's pray together, please. Lord, I am so grateful for your word. I thank you that you have given us um, great hope, great joy. We pray, Lord, that you would grant us that we would see your glory in your word. Help us to see where this word for us today is more than just the end of a sweet story. Help us see Jesus and find grace and salvation in this text. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you remember the encounter that Jesus had after his resurrection with a couple of the disciples on the road to Emmaus? As the men were expressing their sadness over Jesus' death, the Savior reminded them that the Bible had pointed both to his death and his resurrection. In Luke chapter 24, verses 25 through 27, we read this. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I think it would have been a glorious thing to have walked that road with Jesus as he made clear how all of the Old Testament points to him. Can you imagine that class? That would have been wonderful to see. It would have been wonderful to hear the Son of God show his followers how the Old Testament shows us God's character, man's need of salvation, and God's glorious plan to provide a Savior. You know, in one way or another, all of the scriptures that we ever read point us to Jesus, somehow. 
And as we read a book like Ruth in the Old Testament, we can quite often get so caught up in the drama of the story that we forget that this book is here to point us to Jesus. The book shows us the character of God. It shows us the sinfulness of mankind. And as we see at the very ending of this book, we see that this book is every bit about God preserving the family line of the promised rescuer. All through this book, God has been showing us our need for Jesus to come and just how God kept Jesus' family family line alive. Now, if you've been with us for the last four weeks, you know the study of this book. Chapter 1, Naomi returns to Israel with her Moabite daughter-in-law, Ruth, after the deaths of her husband and her two sons. In chapter 2, Ruth, also a widow, Ruth goes to glean and to provide food for the two women, and she ends up in the field belonging to Boaz, a kind, godly man. Chapter 3, Ruth, in a very bold stroke, proposed marriage to Boaz, asking him to redeem her. This was Ruth recognizing that Boaz had a legal right as a relative of her late husband's father to buy back the family's land and to marry Ruth so that they could perpetuate the name of the family. Also in chapter 3, we we have a little bit of a problem arise because there's another near relative who has the first right to buy the land if he wants to. So in the beginning of chapter 4, last week, Boaz calls a little town meeting at the city gate. And there Boaz asks this unnamed other relative, would he like to redeem the land? Would he be willing to marry Ruth in order to raise up children in the dead husband's name? And the other relative, the unnamed relative, he declines And Boaz is clear, publicly announcing he intends to buy the land and to redeem, to marry Ruth. And the last study ends with everybody rejoicing. Everybody is pronouncing blessings and praises. The people of Bethlehem, they know Boaz is a faithful man who agreed to rescue this family. They know that Ruth was a woman of character. And they all said that they wanted to see God raise up a family for Ruth and Boaz as a sign of God's blessing. But the story's not over. Yes, the land is back in the family. And yes, Ruth and Boaz are married, and yes, we are sure that Naomi and Ruth are going to be provided for, and this is all wonderful. We've seen glorious things in this book. We've seen character. We've seen redemption as Boaz selflessly rescues the family, buying them out of their debt. That's what redeem means, to buy someone back or to buy them out of a danger. And Boaz brings Ruth and Naomi into his own home. We've seen godly love, hesed is the Hebrew word, as Ruth gives up a great deal to care for Naomi and as Boaz shows godly protection and provision for Ruth. But there's still two questions we have to answer before this book is complete. The first question we've got to answer is this. Will Ruth and Boaz have a child so that they can carry on the family name? And we need to know just why it is that God saw fit to record this book for us at all. I mean, it's a sweet story, but how is the book of Ruth, as Jesus said to his disciples, a scripture that points us to the Savior? So let's look at the close of this book. We'll find three lessons of character, that'll be the three points that you'll write down, inside three blessings. And in those points, we're going to see the book's beautiful conclusion, and we will see a glorious arrow that points us to Jesus. So if you're ready, we're going to start the first of our three points. Point number one, rejoice 
with those who rejoice. This is the character point here. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Look at verse 13. It says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. So the first blessing that we're going to see is God blessing Ruth. Boaz made Ruth his wife, and we all rejoiced. This is good. Boaz has rescued the land and the widow along with her mother-in-law. But the question is, will Boaz and Ruth be able to rescue the family name? After all, preserving the family line here is of great importance. Do you remember last week I gave you the scriptures for the law of Leverite marriage? It's Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 and 6, and they read this follows. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man should not be married outside of the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. Now, again, we saw last week, that's a culturally awkward thing for us in our way of thinking. But to the first century, or, or sorry, to, the, to the, 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 the first millennia B.C. Jew, actually beginning in the second millennia B.C. Jew, this would have made perfect sense. In Israel, during the days of the judges, the land was divided up among tribes and families and clans. Blessings of God were poured out very specifically to specific families and clans. So if a man were to die with no children to inherit his property, the property would then pass to another family or a different clan. And in that instance, one family is diminished, another family increases, and this would be promoting inside the land one family wanting to get what another family had been promised. This was not supposed to happen. Neither did the people want to see any single family name disappear from Israel because that was felt to be a great curse. Now, there's one other thing you have to think about. If you lose it here, you won't see the significance of this verse. Don't forget, Ruth had been married to Malon in the land of Moab for 10 years before her husband died. And in those 10 years, Ruth was not able to have any children. So it is by no means a sure thing that a marriage to Boaz is going to result in Ruth now being able to have a child. But praise be to God, verse 13, we read the phrase, the Lord gave her conception. God powerfully, clearly took action. God did a God-sized thing. God gave Ruth and Boaz a child. And Every child born is a miracle of God. This one, however, is especially beautiful because we had no idea if this was going to be possible. It's interesting to take note, by the way, there are only two places in the book of Ruth where we read directly that the Lord took action. Chapter 1, verse 6, we see that the Lord had again provided food for the people of Israel. Now here, we see that the Lord provided Ruth with a child. Now, we know, we know God had been doing more things than those two things all along in this book. God led Naomi and Ruth back to Bethlehem at the right time during the barley harvest. God protected those women along the way. God had Ruth 
happened to end up in the field of Boaz. But here we know the hand of God is active. It is highlighted for us. God made a thing happen that the Lord intended to happen all along. One more thing. Think about this. Throughout a study of Scripture, if we see a woman who was formerly childless suddenly conceive, it almost always tells us that this is a story of some great importance. Sarah could not have a baby for many years before Isaac was born. And Isaac is the son of Abraham through whom the line of promise, the family tree of God's promised rescuer, would come. Rebecca, the wife of Isaac, was childless for 20 years of marriage before the twins Esau and Jacob were born. And we know that Jacob, later named Israel, is the father of the nation. He's an important part of the line of promise. And this same story is true, that a woman who had been childless is blessed with a child and it's important. That story is true of Tamar, who bore Perez to Judah, and of the wife of Manoah, the mother of Samson, and of Hannah, the mother of Samuel, and of Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. So a sharp Bible reader here will have his or her antenna up and our senses alert. The Lord is up to something important here. And as we read this story, we thank God for the blessing God gave Ruth. We've been rooting for this girl all along. And now we're grateful to see that the Lord has given her a son. The family name will continue. The inheritance will not be lost. And since this is a family in the nation of Israel, we also know that every son born here has the potential of maintaining the line of the promised one. So as we rejoice for Ruth and Boaz, I want to remind us of an important biblical principle of character before we continue in the story. It's found in Romans 12, verse 15. It's a really simple verse. It says this, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Ruth, here in the story, is rejoicing. The Lord has blessed Ruth. And we need to be a people who, if we were there with her, we would rejoice with her. We would celebrate with her. And we need to become the kind of people who rejoice with other people in our church family anytime the Lord blesses them. Christians, it is a good thing. It is a good thing for you to let the church know about the good things the Lord has given to you. Don't hide those things. Don't keep them to yourself. Because when you do, you deprive the church of the privilege of rejoicing with those who rejoice. Give the church the opportunity to rejoice with you. We never want to be braggarts, of course. But we want to make plain for others to hear of the kindnesses the Lord has given us. So Christian, if you hear that the Lord has done a good thing for some fellow church member, rejoice. Guard your heart against jealousy. Praise God when he shows people kindness. When somebody has a baby or gets a promotion or goes on a vacation or accomplishes a great task, rejoice with them. Be quick to congratulate them. Be quick to celebrate with them. Be quick to praise God for his blessings. Now, I want to give us the counter as well. It's in Romans 12, 15. Be ready to weep with those who weep. I'm especially mindful in a story of a couple having their first child. 
that there are so very many couples out there who long for that experience, but who never have been given that blessing by the Lord. Oftentimes their sorrow is very great. And we want to be the kind of people who care and care deeply for those who suffer that kind of ongoing sorrow. Christians weep with those who weep. If you're hearing this and you're somebody under great sorrow, know that the Lord cares. Maybe you've lost a family member. Maybe you're among those deeply longing to have a child but have not been given that blessing. Know that God cares and we the church care. This hard, broken world is full of pain and your grief matters. You might want to ask, how do you weep with those who weep? And this would be a good topic for you at home with your families later on to discuss a little bit and get some nuts and bolts worked out. How do you weep with those who weep? It requires wisdom. It requires sensitivity. One thing I'll tell you, though, is don't hide yourself from people who are in sorrow. Be present with them. Let them know that you care. And pray that God give you the wisdom to know when's it better for you to say something and when's it better for you just to be there quietly supportive. Don't ignore a grieving person. Don't act like they don't exist. Don't act like their grief doesn't matter. Don't pretend they're not there because you don't know what to say. Let a sorrowing person know that you joined them in their sorrow and that you're willing to help. You might invite them to come and be a part of your life. Maybe you invite them to come and spend some time with you. Maybe you just ask them, how do I love you through this? I don't know what to do, but I want to be your friend. Don't think you need to be able to say some simple thing that makes everything all better. For people who are in real grief, you're not going to fix their world with a pithy quotation of Romans 8.28. Just love them the way you would want to be loved if you were the one hurting. Christians, it is biblical to rejoice when others are blessed by God. And let's be the quickest to congratulate, the quickest to celebrate, the quickest to throw a party in response to the goodness of the Lord. And let us also weep with those who weep. Don't pretend life is all sunshine and roses because it's it's not. Don't hide yourself from the suffering. Just express love, express concern, show that you care. Now let's move forward here. We've got more blessings we need to see. And you guys can talk about that more on your own when you're at home. But let's look at a second set of blessings. These are blessings. We've seen blessings on Ruth. Now we're going to see Ruth, or God bless Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi. Point number two, trust God's plan. Trust God's plan. Ruth chapter four, verses 14 through 17. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So now the focus turns to Naomi, widowed, 
likely now in her 50s, maybe even older, Naomi has been through a lot. She saw famine in the land of Israel. She saw her husband and two sons die in Moab. And Naomi was clear in chapter 1, she felt the Lord had dealt with her quite bitterly. But Ruth was faithful to Naomi, and so had the Lord been. And God was at work. God provided food for Naomi. And God provided redemption for Naomi's property. And God provided a husband for Ruth. And now, blessing upon blessing, God provided Ruth and Boaz with a son, a grandson for Naomi. The family name would continue. What the Lord has done, providing safety and care for Naomi, causes the townswomen, they they praise the Lord. These are the women who had been shocked when they saw Naomi at the end of chapter 1. These were the women Naomi asked, please call me Mara, a name that means bitter. And now these women see, about a year later, the glorious hand of God's blessing on Naomi and her family through Boaz and through Ruth. The women understand this baby, as much as all the other people in this story, as as much as all the other things in this story, this baby is going to be a blessing and a light to the life of Naomi as she ages. They pronounce God's blessing on the baby. And this grandson is going to be, they say, a restorer of life, energizing Naomi. This woman's not going to sit around and fade away. She's going to bounce a grandbaby on her knee. She's going to sit on the floor and play with him. You can just picture it. Naomi is going to be revived. And when this boy grows, he will take care of Naomi when she's too old to play anymore. The women also see that this baby is special because he has been born to Ruth. Ruth, the Moabite, but a woman of character. Ruth, the foreigner, has taken care of Naomi. Ruth has shown a godly love, a chesed to Naomi by leaving her home and providing for Naomi. And now the son here is born to Ruth. Ruth is a daughter who's worth more to Naomi than seven sons. Quite high praise. Verse 16 then gives us this beautiful picture of Naomi. She's playing nanny to her new grandson. By the way, don't don't confuse yourself here when it says that she became his nurse. Don't don't be confused with our concept of feeding a nursing baby. That's not what's being said here. Naomi just does what every sweet grandma does. Naomi cares for the little guy. And so the townswomen see that Naomi has a new little boy to brighten her days, a grandson as a miraculous gift from God, and they affirm the name of the boy. He is going to be called Obed, which is a name that means servant. You know, Ruth had been a servant. She served and cared for Naomi. Naomi is now being a servant, caring for and serving the baby. But this boy will be a kind servant, caring for Naomi. By the way, I thought of this because of some dear friends of mine. Obed is almost like naming a little baby deacon, a little baby that means servant. Then we read them, the most important words of this entire book so far. If you think we've been studying good stuff, That's all well and good, but we have yet to hit the most important words of this book until now. This book has been great, hasn't it? It's been sweet. We've seen character. We've seen provision. We've seen the hidden hand of God at work. But now pay close attention because you're going to see why this book matters more than any other sweet little tale Ruth is lovely, Boaz is godly, Obed is born, but nobody writes books and nobody tells stories of Obed and Obed's character. 
Obed is crucial to the story, but not because he's going to play the role of the hero. Obed will grow up. Obed will have a son, and that son's name will be Jesse. And Jesse also is not a hero. But Jesse will grow up, and Jesse will have a son. And the son of Jesse is David. And David, a man after God's heart, will become the king of Israel. Thus, this story, Naomi's sorrow, Ruth's kindness, Boaz's godliness, ultimately leads to a king. And we can stop for a second to grab for ourselves an important truth before we analyze the king. Isaiah 55 Verses 8 through 11 read as follows. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as, high, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my words be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I send it. Listen to me very carefully. God is infinitely greater than you and me. God's knowledge is perfect. God's thoughts are forever greater than our thoughts. God's plans are forever wiser than our plans. God's understanding is forever deeper than our understanding. And God is accomplishing God's eternal will. He sends forth his word, his sovereign decree, and his decree will come to pass. God will accomplish his plan. And nothing that you or I or anybody else will ever do will thwart the perfect plan of the Almighty God. Trust God's plan. In this story, Naomi thought God had abandoned her or had treated her with only bitterness. And Naomi really did suffer. But Naomi didn't know in chapter 1 what God was up to. Naomi didn't understand that this was God's plan to bring into Israel the great-grandmother of a king. And you and I, when we face times of hardship, times of trouble, we need to remember the same thing. God is doing more than you can see. Do you understand that? In times of diseases and people arguing over whether this is for real or whether this is a hoax or whether this is the right or the wrong course of action, God is doing something bigger than you have the brain to imagine. God's doing something bigger than I have the brain to imagine. God is doing more than you could ever see. God is accomplishing God's glorious will. God is working things together for his glory and our ultimate good. God is moving heaven and earth to shape us into the image of his son. And we should never, ever let ourselves lose heart. We should know God is good and God's ways will be in the end absolutely perfect. And now let's go to the conclusion. Let's go to the most important part of this entire book. It's at hand. 
God blesses not just Naomi, not just Ruth. God blesses the nations. Look at point number three. We'll write it down. Rejoice in the Redeemer. And I would capitalize Redeemer this time. Rejoice in the Redeemer. Listen to 18 to 22. And here's what's great, guys. This is the most exciting part of this entire book. And it's the part that you skip. Ruth 4, 18 to 22 says, Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashan. Nashan fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. We close the book here with, of all things, a genealogy. And I'm telling you, though you don't believe me, it's the best part of the book. This list gives us 10 names, only two of which stand out because of actions they take. The first name, the seventh name, and the tenth name are the most important ones, which is all, almost all, well, not always, I guess. It's often true in these Old Testament genealogies. Boaz, person number seven, was noble and godly. David was a king. The rest of the men in this list are branches in the family tree, little more. But let's notice a couple things real quick, just for the fun of it. There are 10 names. Maybe that parallels the 10 elders that Boaz brought to witness his claim of redemption at the city gate. The first name is a name, Perez. He's a man born to Judah. But his mother was the Canaanite widow, Tamar. So maybe, maybe we should see that there's a parallel here between Perez and Obed in their situations. And of course, like I said, the list leads to David. If you were an Old Testament believer, this list would ring like a bell to you. It is incredibly important. It's some of the best news you could ever hear. With New Testament eyes, it should resound with even greater importance and greater glory. But for so many of us, don't feel bad, I'm not looking down on you. For many of us, this list isn't that exciting because we're so far removed from the story that the list tells. So how about this? Let me remind you of the great blessing for all mankind bound up in this little list. It actually starts in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis. In the beginning, God created everything that exists. And of all the things God made, human beings are God's favorite thing that he ever made. Only humanity bears the image of God. And because we bear the image of God, we're responsible to demonstrate the goodness and perfection of God for a watching universe to see. But the people God created did not follow him. Instead, they fought against him, attempting to become their own masters. They fell. That's what occurred in the Garden of Eden. When Adam ate the forbidden fruit, in that very moment, humanity fell, sinning against the Lord. In that moment, when Adam ate the fruit, Death, disease, sorrow entered human experience, and all creation was cursed, tainted by the evil act of a human race that would battle against the Creator. And God justly and well could have killed Adam on the spot. God could have wiped out every trace of humanity and started over if He wanted to, but that had never been God's plan from before creation. 
God instead, in love, in mercy, covered Adam's nakedness, and God made a promise to all of humanity. God was going to send a person into the world someday, and the one God was going to send into the world would defeat the devil and would set right everything that had gone wrong at the fall of mankind. And from Genesis 3 onward, humanity awaited the arrival of the promised rescuer from God. Fast forward a little bit. Genesis chapter 12, God goes to a man named Abram, later named Abraham, and he tells Abram that you, Abram, are going to be the father of a great nation. And one of the descendants of this nation, Abram, is going to be a blessing to all of the nations on the earth. Abram's going to father a people. And from that people would come God's promised rescuer. And that's what I keep talking about when I keep talking about the line of promise. The rescuer is going to be descended from the first woman, Eve, and his, and his descendant is going to come through the line of Abraham through his wife, Sarah. Now, if you follow the book of Genesis, you see that Abraham has two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. Isaac is the one who carries the line of promise. Isaac has two sons, Esau and Jacob. Jacob carries the line of promise. Jacob has 12 sons. And of the 12, Judah carries the line of promise. And Judah, by the way, had two sons, Zerah and Perez. And Perez carries the line of promise because there is a miracle at the birth of Perez that shows us that he does. And here, at the end of the book of Ruth, we follow the generations of Perez, the family tree of Perez, the line of promise, Ten more generations forward until we arrive at King David. And God also will make a promise to King David. In 2 Samuel 7, 16, God says, Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So God promises David that David carries the line of the promise. And one of David's descendants is going to be a king. But the king descended from David is going to be such a king. His kingdom will last forever. In Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, we read a prediction about that one to come in David's family. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So the descendant of David is going to be a king forever. He's going to rule forever. He's going to be the mighty God with us. Someone born of David's family, of David's kingly line, a descendant of Eve, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Perez, Boaz, Obed, Jesse, and David will be the chosen one, the promised one, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. He will be the only hope that humanity has for things to be set right between us and God. He's going to be born into the world because God saw fit to preserve the line of this family. He's going to be born into the world because God brought a Moabite widow into Israel. Because God provided Ruth with a redeemer, God has preserved the family line so that you and I can have a redeemer. The book of Ruth is about Jesus. You see, 
A thousand years or so after Ruth's great-grandson David was born, God sent into this world God's own son, Jesus, born of Mary, a descendant of David, came to redeem us, to buy us out of the slavery of sin. Jesus lived a life of utter perfection. Jesus died a sacrificial death, paying the penalty for our sin against God. And Jesus rose from the dead, proving that his work was done and that the way is open for you and me to be forgiven and welcomed into God's family. So as we come to the close of this beautiful little book, know that it is about God and God's relationship with you. Have you come to Jesus for forgiveness and redemption? If you're not sure where you stand before God, let me make it plain. You must be redeemed or you will face the wrath of God forever for sin. Come to Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Ask him to have mercy on your soul. Turn from being your own master and cry out to Jesus to be your savior. Everyone who turns from their sin, Everyone who trusts in Jesus for salvation has God's forgiveness, God's redemption. And if you have come to Jesus for salvation, then know this. You are a child of God, forgiven, adopted, and the book of Ruth is your family story, part of your family tree. Thank God for what he's done here. Rejoice in his blessings. Learn from the godly character that you've seen and live a life, your entire life, for the glory of the one who gave his life to save your soul. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for this book because it's our story. It's the story of Jesus. It's our family tree. It's the story of our redemption. God, I thank you. I really do. And Lord, I would pray, I would pray right now as we, as we hear this message from so many places, let it ring in our ears with the joy and the glory of the Savior. God, be magnified in us. Be glorified in us. Make us people who have the character that shows how great you are. Make us people who are grateful for your gracious redemption. We know there's not a single work we could have ever done to earn salvation. And so we just say thank you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen.